We are constantly being told to pursue our passion in all aspects of our life, from our careers to our relationships. And frankly, this advice is total shit. Because what if we don't know what our passion is? And then this not knowing becomes a source of stress and anxiety. Welcome to episode 59. I'm your host, Julie Brown, and today I am joined by my friend, Terry Trespicio, to discuss her upcoming book, Unfollow Your Passion. This episode is sponsored by Nickerson, a full-service branding, marketing, and PR and communications agency with team members in Boston, Los Angeles, Miami, and New York City. Visit them at NickersonCOS.com. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. My husband's childhood friend, Kevin, was the best man at our wedding. Chris and Kevin met in grade school. Within the paragraphs of his best man's speech, Kevin talks about how Chris always knew that he wanted to be an architect, how he had started drawing houses when he was seven and he was good at it. You might go so far as to say that being an architect is not only my husband's passion, but something bigger. It was his calling. I've always said that I'm jealous Envious even of the fact that my husband had a tether to his passion and a straight trajectory to becoming an architect from such a young age. You see, I didn't find my passion, the thing that I know I'm supposed to be doing, until I was like almost 40. If I had listened to all the self-help books and graduation speeches about searching for my passion, I might have missed it because it wasn't there yet. It hadn't been fully formed because I discovered my passion while doing other things. Looking too hard or forcing our passion into existence only serves to camouflage the things that actually matter to us. My friends, you are in for a treat today. Terry is not only my friend, but she is a sought-after speaker and brand advisor. Her TED Talk, Stop Searching for Your Passion, has been viewed more than 7 million times. She has appeared on The Today Show, Dr. Oz, The Early Show, The Anderson Cooper Show. She's been in Oprah Magazine, Business Insider, Forbes.com, and Inc.com. And today, she is here with us to talk about her upcoming book, Unfollow Your Passion. Terry, welcome and thank you for taking the time to talk with me. So excited to be here. Just jumping right into it. We all know from a very young age, one of the first questions you're asked as a child is, what do you want to be when you grow up? The worst question ever. Worst question ever. I mean, and so from a very young age, we're conditioned to think we're supposed to have this figured out. We're supposed to know what we want to be because that's what people keep asking us. Like, why is that? Why is that? Why do we do that? I think we don't have better questions to ask. (laughs) I think we're, it's a very unimaginative question. I think it's meant with the best possible intention. Like, Oh, well, what can you imagine doing? But the fact is you can't imagine what you haven't even come close to yet. Well, what do people say? They want to be an astronaut, a princess, or a firefighter. I mean, like, what do we go by? I mean, that's fine. That's not the big problem. The problem is as we get older, 
you know, when I talk to 21 year olds, for instance, or even 26 or 30 year olds are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing yet. I'm like, mm-hmm. Hey, nobody knows. <laughs> no one knows. Right. You know, I've always said that I think it's, it's almost detrimental that we go to college at such a young age mm-hmm. that you're, cho- that you, you're supposed to like, pick a major. And I think you said it in one of your speeches. It's like, you feel like you're picking your major for life. Like, and we're doing it at such a young age when we haven't experienced enough, maybe to even know what we should be doing. I mean, education is something we we're lucky to have, if we can have it, but we don't appreciate it until later when we go, Oh my gosh, imagine if you could go back now mm-hmm. and pick classes, you'd be like, I want to take that. I want to take that. But the idea in my mind, the way I come around to this, cause I was in school, like loved school. I just really loved being there. It was the only time I really knew what I was doing is that I think it should be seen as a kind of foundation setting like college and education as a rule is meant to teach you how to think how to ask questions and how to form a habit for learning. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we just check the boxes and go, when can we get the hell out of here? Because we were bored by it or whatever, right. you know? But the fact is, we're not supposed to know. College is not meant to be job training. And it's really a, a flaw of the industrial revolution, if we're gonna really get serious about that. Mm-hmm. You've got to train for a job, what is it? In fact, you know, of course, education, sitting in school for hours a day as a little kid we were being trained to sit still so we could work in factory jobs. I mean, that's where education comes from. It doesn't come from like, let's get curious about our futures and how we might manifest abundance. That's not what school's about. Should be, but it's not. It's not. And I think like, there's so many things you just can't learn in school. For me, for what I do, I always say, nobody goes to college and gets um, a bachelor's in whatever they're doing and a minor in networking. You know, but that's what I do for a living. Like I could not have gone to school for what I do. No, of course not. There's no major in networking, right? This is a skill that unfortunately, maybe we're not taught early enough to do well, but it, we should be. So we can either pick a fight with all the things we should be taught. Also how to manage money, how to, there's a million things we're not taught that would set us up to be more effective, happier, successful adults. Mm-hmm. It sucks that we're not. But that's why we were never supposed to stop learning after college or after high school. You're meant to keep learning. And we think that, well, when I'm done with learning, then I'm going to start living. No, (laughs) we know that the fun part is when you keep living and learning and getting curious about what's next. You didn't know at 20, you're like, oh, I'm going to be a master networker and teach people like saying content producer. When I was in college, content as a term did not exist. There was no job. I would have loved the job of content producer. Right. That shit didn't exist in the nineties. You know what I mean? Like, so no, some things that you might end up doing don't even exist yet. That's the good news. Yeah. But the question about picking a passion and that comes later, this there's the, what job are you going to do? Which is limiting. And then there's this very facile self-help or professional advice. It's like, follow what you're passionate about. The sentiment is not bad, mm-hmm. but there. I'm not talking people out of following their passions, like your husband, like someone who grew up playing the cello and still plays the cello for a living. Mm -hmm. Those people are not going to be mad at me because that's like saying, how, why are you selling band-aids when I'm not bleeding? It's like, well, they're not for you. If you're not bleeding, band-aids are for people who are bleeding when you're (laughs) bleeding, look us up. Uh, But this whole struggle and the reason why that Ted talk did so well and continues to do well is because that doesn't solve the problem for Mm -hmm. most people. 
They don't know exactly what they're doing or what they're supposed to be doing. Like you said, what was I meant to be doing? I cannot stand that language because it presumes there's one answer. And, you know, it just is not the case. Let me say one thing about passion because people think I don't like passion. I'm in fact, fairly passionate as a person. This is not me anti-passion and you should just be stoic all the time and have no emotions. Passion is wonderful. It's also not special. It's Mm -hmm. human. If you feel passion, you probably feel it in ebbs and flows and it arcs and it stops and it, it lights up in certain times and then goes away in others. And let's just start from this very like uh, democratic foundation. No one wouldn't choose passion. No one doesn't want to feel that way. Mm-hmm. The passion itself is a shifting living thing. And to assume that you're doing life wrong because you don't know what you're passionate about. is like saying you're bad at eating because every couple hours you're hungry again. <laughs> That's how it works. Right. Yeah. But we don't see it as that passion, sort of just something that moves through us, like all other things, like hunger, like arousal, like fear. Mm-hmm. The, the idea is not to just pick one emotion and live that way. That's not what life is. It's certainly not what work is. And I think a lot of people think, well, number one, maybe they're supposed to find their passion, but maybe their passion is supposed to find them. Like it's a call that's going to happen and you have to pick up that you call. I feel it that way. You were called. Some people, it's the language you use. Do yeah. you like the term calling? Do you, Julie, like that term? Have you felt it? Because I don't want to tell you not to use a word that you like, but. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you should ask because I, this thing happened with my mother-in-law recently where I hosted, well, it wasn't recently, it was Mother's Day and I hosted Mother's Day and I put on this big thing and, you know, food, like I cooked everything from scratch and blah, blah, blah. And she said to me, she goes, oh, Julie, you missed your calling. And I was Uh, like, uh, no, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure hosting brunch wasn't my calling. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Owning my company and teaching people how to be networkers and change their careers through networks. I'm pretty sure that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But see, that's, that is a, a thing about callings. We often talk about callings when we're describing what someone didn't do. Yeah. You know, like someone said to me not that long ago, like, oh, you're so funny. You missed your calling. You should have been a comedian. I was like, I kind of am. I don't make my living as a comic, but I do stand up. I have done it. Uh, I enjoy it. I've studied the craft of it. I've written and performed it and I've entered contests and been a finalist. Like that's about as much as that is in my life right now. Mm -hmm. And it's not figuring in all the time. You're not like, why aren't you doing this? And that comes, uh, by the way, one of my favorite authors, Austin Kleon of Steel Like an Artist fame says, this is a real problem in our culture where as soon as someone shows a proclivity for a a flair for something, we say you should be doing that for a living. Mm -hmm. No, Julie, you're not supposed to do Mother's Day brunches for a living. (laughs) You were supposed to do brunch for Mother's Day because it was a great thing to do. And I'm sure you're wonderful at it as you are wonderful at lots of things. That's my point is that you don't just have one. It's that struggle, this idea that we're supposed to have one. You have lots of passions. I know you love to drink and travel. (laughs) (laughs) She said drink first. I know you love to drink. I love I know that you have it. I don't mean like drink. You love you have a flair for cocktails and like travel. And like the when I hear about the things you were doing and love to do, like we're going to Grenada, we're going to the Bahamas. I'm like, that bitch knows how to live. Like, I love that. And and that's true. Like, but you wouldn't go, well, I have a passion for travel. I guess I should maybe be a travel blogger. No, maybe you shouldn't. Because if you had to write about every trip you want on, you might start to hate writing and you might start to hate travel. So uh, Austin Klan says, like, 
keep something for yourself. You don't have to turn everything into a job. And I could not agree more. So that idea of like, but I'm passionate about baking. So I should have a cupcake shop. How do you feel about running a store? Because whether it's cupcakes, underwear, or sneakers, you're going to now live the life of a store manager, which is not the same life as someone who likes to eat a cupcake and who the hell doesn't. The things you love, as soon as you start making them your job or your have tos, it changes the way you feel about them for sure. Right. And so what? Enjoy a lot of things. I do a lot of things. You do a lot of things. This idea that there has to be one. Now, people tend to talk about that when they realize how goddamn unhappy they are, Mm -hmm. where they are right now. That's something to listen to. And I I loved your interview with Ange. I think her name was about intuition. If you know something doesn't feel right, that's not the same as passion. Like I said, if I was use this example, if you scrambled some eggs for me and I said, Julie, these are the best eggs I've ever, what the hell are you doing with these eggs? You're like, I don't know. I don't, no, no, no. These are the best eggs I've ever had. I'm going to tell everyone and people are like how much you want for those eggs. I'll give you $10,000 for those eggs. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, I'm telling you, you're doing it like no one else. You would all of a sudden get very, you would lock down your recipe. You would, you would sell it. And if you were making millions off your sc- scrambled eggs, you would be pretty damn passionate about eggs for a while until you got bored. Mm-hmm. But like we can get the passion is not the topic or the major or the job or the title or the money. The passion is, oh, my God, I did things that contributed. Someone wanted what I had. I mean, it's a kind of a sense of connection and love even. Yeah. Is that feeling passion is that word that has become this professional term, but it's actually quite personal. I heard you give a speech once. And when you said when you are doing things you're passionate about, that is when people connect with you and they pay you for your passion. That is what we want. We want to feel good about what we're doing and what we do helps other people. And Hey, guess what? We also make a living off of it. Why you make a living as a speaker. People watch you speak and they go, we want, we want that. We want that energy. We want that person. Can we have her at our event? Right. And then then they want you. It's not because, well, why'd you hire Julie Brown? Oh, because she's passionate about speaking. No, we saw her. She was goddamn amazing. And we want to hire her. By the way, Julie Brown is available for gigs. You should contact her <laughs> PR person. Um, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, and the same reason people hire me too. They see yeah. me somewhere. They go, okay, good. That's so what we want. What is your advice to somebody who just feels stuck? Like, I feel like I've done everything I was supposed to do. I went to school. Oh my God. Okay. Roll over and die. Is that it? (laughs) If you're done with everything you're supposed to do, then you should just roll over and die. And that's when I don't get that finality. Life is long. Yeah. Find something to do and don't try to pick. I mean, don't go. If you're like, I hate numbers, I guess I'll go be an accountant because and no, you do things that are appealing, but you do them through. And I'm always doing this. I'm like, do I like doing this or do I really not? Yeah. I'm not trying to pick a lane. You know, fine. I'm a brand advisor. Means everything and nothing. Yeah. I know what I'm good at, and I can spot the kinds of opportunities that are things I would do well. Where have you done something where you felt really good about it? In fact, I encourage people to journal this, to write it, and I lead lots of writing workshops where I help them use the page for this reason. Yep. What is it that you felt so good about? Maybe just think about the job you have. Maybe something you're doing recently. Don't think about the job and the title and the company. What was one thing you contributed? You're like, I felt so good about that. It was the most random thing. It was a fundraiser we were doing. What is it about that thing? Where can you do what felt good about that? Where can you offer that to other people? Where can you offer it to other parts of your job? Where can you finding places where you get into your sweet spot and you have more than one? But I want to take issue with this stuck thing because I don't think it's super gendered. 
But I don't hear a lot of men saying they're stuck. I hear a lot of this women, I mean, because I'm around women more and I'm talking to women more, but this idea of stuck, I understand it. But when we say it, it becomes real because you're like, I'm just stuck. Are you though? Are you stuck or are you in a pause? And are you going to just kind of hang out and lay on your couch and stare into space for a while and think about what's next? Mm -hmm. I tell people when we're writing, when you're writing things out and trying to write to understand your own thoughts, I say, if your pen is moving, you're not stuck. If you're getting up and you're showering and you're eating, you're taking care of your general health and hygiene. You go to a job, you're not actually stuck. I am very worried about this idea that we're buying into that. Like, oh, I guess I must just be stuck right now because somehow it's like, yeah, me too. I'm stuck. Everyone's stuck. Are you? Mm -hmm. It's okay to have a pause. This idea that everyone's just living their best life and like having this great time. And it's a thrill a minute when you pick your passion. It's not true. Mm -hmm. You're a human on a planet that's boiling to its hottest temperature of all time. We're (laughs) under considerable pressure. We're in a pressure cooker, people. And one of the great, uh, this this has been a a shit year. We all know this. One of the things that has come out is this, as they're saying, the great, what are they, not the great recession, the great departure, the great resignation. Resignation. We're going, what am I doing? What am I doing? It's not that they're stuck now. They are, are you shifting gears? If you're mm-hmm. shifting gears, are you stuck or are you shifting gears? Right. So be wary of that story. Um, one other thing about being stuck, if you are curious, if you are leading with curiosity and wondering, well, what if I did that? What if I did that? When people, I will emphasize it, I hear this more from women than men, think, well, I shouldn't do that, or that would be crazy. They throw down all the walls. Yep. If I said, well, what if you consider that? No, 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 I can't do that. Oh, blah, blah. I can't, blah, blah. a million things. Oh, and you wonder why you're stuck? You put yourself in a damn cage. You did that. Yeah. So if you say, well, what if, what if, when you say what if to things and you're curious about it, you start to open some doors. And a lot of people are afraid to get curious because, well, then what if I did that? What would happen? Who would I be? Yeah, that's scary, but it sure as shit isn't stuck. One thing I, one line you had from your mom that I loved, and I, I'm not sure I mean to get it right, is she said, you don't design your life and then live it. You live it and it, it is being designed yes. as you live it. Well, yeah, well, that was in the middle of my serious, dep- <laughs> like weird depression, post-college depression where I, where I really was just at a temp job and called my mother every night crying. And I didn't even be like, hi, mom, I'm having a hard day. Like I just called her, she'd answer and I would just burst into tears just like heaving sobs. And she just listened and she was, and I, she said, why don't you get a job? And I said, but I can't, because then if I get that job, if I get that job, then I'll be stuck in that job. What if I don't like it? Then I can't get out. I had this, a whole made up story about it. And she, she, I said, but I might not want that job. And she said, you do not plan your life and then live it. Oh no. She, you don't create your life and then live it. You create it by living it. You won't know until you get, get moving and take a job. So I took like a job as an executive assistant and it was the moment things started moving forward. It didn't matter. Mm -hmm. I wasn't passionate about being an executive assistant. I wasn't passionate about what they did at this company, but those people were kind, brilliant people, patient, and they wanted a young person to answer the phone and do the PowerPoint. Like, and I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden I had people who said my name every day, were waiting for me, had jobs for me to do. I had new challenges. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what I did. That's where I learned how to be in an office with people. And I stayed there for almost two years and then I, I left. But it, when people go, I don't know what job, 
do any, literally my mom said, take a job, any mm-hmm. job. Uh, I love one of the stories you tell about that. You used to work, you were a copywriter for a, a wig. Oh Maybe yes. A wig the company. largest distributor of wigs and hair pieces in North America. Excuse you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is great because you know, you're sitting in your, in your, I remember you're talking about sitting there and like, you're like, okay, I write copy for this wig company. And then when that job ended, you knew that it was time for that job to end. And then you started another job. You started working for Martha Stewart and then you had a, it wasn't Martha Stewart, by the way, it was a tiny magazine flea bitten, couldn't pay its bills. Uh, they took me and there was no money. I took a $15,000 pay cut, which when you aren't making that much is a lot to lose. Right. And I left because I realized that the job I was at making pretty, you know, fair, moderate income as a copywriter, I was so bored. I couldn't see straight after a while and there was nowhere to go. And they said to me, this job is not for fast risers. There was nowhere to go. And so I was like, okay, so when an opportunity came up to get this other job, oh, I took a hit money-wise, but it changed everything. And six months later, Martha Stewart picked up that magazine, probably with two fingers and was like, let's get this thing fumigated and cleaned up. And then, then my life changed, but could I have planned for that? No. Let me work at this magazine and maybe a, a huge celebrity will buy it. You don't plan that stuff. Right. You don't, but look, I took the job at the wig company because not because, well, I've, I have a passion about hair pieces. I don't know anything about it. I don't care. It doesn't matter. There was a job that was creative copywriter in the creative department. And I said, this is where I get to do what I'm, what I like doing, which is writing and making things mm-hmm. up and learning about it. And I said, what is this product by the way? Cause it was called uh, SC direct. So you didn't know what that even was. I was like, oh, by the way, I should, before I go in for this interview, I better look into what they do. And I pulled the website. I was like, yowza. <laughs> it was like wigs. And I was like, oh, I don't know. What is this? And I went in there just regular people who were doing cool work. And I was like, okay, like, how do you know what you're going to learn? Right. And I learned so much there too. You can learn something at every job. Show me someone who does a bunch of jobs and says, everything was beneath me and there was nothing to learn. Show me someone who says that. And I will show you someone who doesn't know how to learn and isn't curious and is waiting for the job to make her or him. Whereas you have to make that job. And one thing I love about talking about your different jobs is a lot of people think that if something ends, it's failed. We do this with jobs. We do this with relationships. And one thing I loved about both of because you have two TED Talks, one thing I loved about your second one is that it's it, when things end, that doesn't mean they weren't special or we didn't learn from them or they aren't important parts of creating who we are. But we always have this thing with finale, like pass fail. Yeah, we're obsessed with forever. We're obsessed with I'll do this forever. I will be with this person forever at this job forever. Um, I will always do this. Nothing lasts forever. I've had things that I thought would last didn't and things that I didn't think would last did, Mm -hmm. you know, friendships that ended just in the ether, just completely disappeared and jobs and clients who just have hung in there. Like you don't know, but this idea that the longer or more permanent something is, the more valuable it is, um, is not is not true. I mean, I hate to, t- I don't know if anyone knows, but we aren't getting out of here alive. We are going to end. And yeah. I think that is the hardest thing to, to really come to terms with. And so we cling to things that we think will be forever because we think that that will secure us somehow. And the fact is it can't, and it won't. Relationships, some will last, sure. Uh, listen, 
the only marker of a relationship in our culture that's successful is that you die while you're in it. (laughs) You die while you're in it. If you break up before you die, then it wasn't worth it. Of course not. Every job I had was worth Mm. it. Every extracurricular I did, which I didn't even care to do, I learned something from them. So, you know, the people who get ring the most meaning from their lives are people who actually look for that as opposed to this isn't a fit. That isn't a fit. Like they go through it like uh, dresses off the rack. Well, this isn't right. This isn't right. How do you know? Mm -hmm. Try it on, try it on. But no, I mean, look, you're married. I am. So you're, you made a commitment, but we know this is a conditional commitment. Anything could change, but we hope that you stay happily married, right? That's the thing. Yeah. I always, I mean, we've been married for almost 17 years. We've been together for 21 years. And I always say, I'm not foolish. I know I'm a lot. I know there could be a moment <laughs> where Chris just wakes up and he's like, you know what? It's been a, it's been a good run, but I'm done. Like that shit happens. <laughs> yeah. But this idea, right. That, that we've failed if something doesn't last and marriage, obviously the most personal, right. Right. But the same with career It's like, well, I left that career of my law career after, you know, 10 years. And was that a waste? Of course not. You have all of those insights. You have a bag of treasures to take with you to the next thing. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean you're voided. No one is going to take your resume or whatever and stamp void. You changed careers. You're over. Like it's all cumulative. You know, so, I don't let's talk about the book because I've, I was lucky enough to get, um, an advanced, not even an advanced copy, an advanced manuscript. So I've read most of the book and wow. well, I'm a fast reader. So I want to just talk about the book, why you wrote the book. What are you hoping that people get at the end of this book? Because it's, it's wonderful. Well, thank you. That's really, really I even nice. said it. We have a mutual friend. I, I was on the phone with Lisa um, on Friday and I was like, have you read Terry's book yet? It's so good. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I always wanted to write a book. I, I've been writing ostensibly to put together a book for, for years, for I'd say, you know, seven years where I was like writing, what is it? What is it? I didn't say, oh, I'm a failed book writer for every year that I didn't finish the book. Mm -hmm. It's more like, I really wasn't sure what it was. I knew I, okay, here's a perfect example. I, okay, I am passionate about writing. Show me all the things I'm supposed to be writing right now that I'm not. Well, if I'm passionate, I'll just do everything. No, I love to do it. It's what I do well. But I wasn't sure what it was or what I'm supposed to be doing. That's why the passion thing doesn't always work because, Mm -hmm. well, I know I love to write, but what is this book? What need will it serve? I thought it was going to be a collection of essays. Uh, Those don't sell like the best, (laughs) like when you're nobody, when no one knows who you are, like I'm not famous. So, Uh, but when I I worked on it, worked on it, finally, I got to know the work. I think Mm -hmm. people skip this. They, they don't give themselves a chance to really know all the iterations of what that work is. And then I took it to an agent and she saw the potential. Uh, lots didn't write back to me at all. Yeah. You know, what, all you need, all you need one to say yes. This one woman was like, what else you got? She took it to a bunch of publishers. We got one on the line who was like, we might be into this, but it's not what you think it is. So mm-hmm. I thought I was writing one book. They're like, actually, you're going to write the book and it's going to be a self-improvement title and it's going to be connected to that talk you did. Hello, that 7 million people saw. I was like, oh, okay. So I took all the stuff I had done and I threw out, I didn't throw out half it. I I put it on the bench. I said, Mm -hmm. you guys, I don't need you right now. I need this for this specific game for this specific book. And my editor said, the problem is we all are stuck on that idea that, and we don't know what we're supposed to do instead. If you're not supposed to follow your passion, what are you supposed to do? And I said, well, it's not that you're not supposed to, but 
I want to, the only way to help people get their brain around this is to show them what does not apply. Mm-hmm. And the searching for your passion and finding it, and that's the only way to happiness doesn't apply. So the book basically walks you through, hey, can we clear out all of this crap that you and I have swallowed that has been told to us that this is the way a, a life should be led? Everything from, you know, why you don't have to, you know, follow one passion and why your bucket list is great for travel plans, but not much else. And why this idea of baggage, why I have too much baggage. I can, we have all these ideas that they weren't ours to begin with. So right. we let go of that. And then I lead you through a method for drilling down and actually seeing what you already have in a new way, your skills, your practice, the fact that no one knows what the F is going to happen ever, how to maximize your ability to improvise, which you already have. And uh, one chapter that really means a, a, a lot to me is about um, why we need to un- stop trying to fix because there's an idea that we should have these plans. And if I'm this and I stick with it and I never waver, that's going to be the life for me. And that's what, how I'll know I did the right thing. And as a lapsed Catholic, I will tell you, there is no one right thing. There's only a million obstacles that you were told should be there and they don't have to be. And so uh, it's really a process of unlearning. And the goal is for you, you, anyone who finds this appealing to really understand what freedom is, what sovereignty is. And it's not checking someone else's boxes. You might go, okay, I think I, that's what I believe too. You sure? Because for everyone who says they're stuck, they are buying into those things and they're shackled to these wrong ideas and wondering why they can't move. And so the goal, the arc of the book, and I had to make sure that I had an arc, like where's this going, is for freedom. And it's not just for women. Mm-hmm. But if I had, I'm a betting woman, I'm going to bet more women are going to read it than men because the women think they're stuck. So that's the idea. That is the idea. I think uh, my fantasy is that I'm clip, clip, clipping away all these shackles and women and men, anyone who's felt kind of cowed by the idea of what their life should be is actually going, oh my God, why didn't anyone tell me that I didn't have to do this, right. that I didn't have to do these things? It took me a long time. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was a freaking rule follower, a student all the way through compliant. And I am not a huge rebel, but I, it took till my forties to be like, oh no, 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 I'm not doing this. <laughs> and you to me, that's freedom. No, like, cause I felt like it was 40 for me too, where I was like, yes. you know, fuck this, fuck this. Like I am yes. 40. I, I think that's like that 40 is like a watershed age for a lot of, it is a people. fantastic age. I don't know what I, my, a lot of my friends are younger. They're in their thirties and they're getting up close, uncomfortably close for them <laughs> to 40. I have a friend of mine just turned 39 and she's like posting like sort of teary eyed pictures that she's at the end. I was like, honey, you're at the end of misery. I was like, my life didn't really even get going until 40. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, and there's another wrong story that like, oh, you're all done, done. I am really finally feel like in my groove. And I think there's a freedom because especially for women in their twenties and thirties, they're being told how to be, you yep. won't get as much a say over your body. You'll be told that your looks matter the most that, oh, I just want to be pretty and appealing for everyone or fit the mold by 40. You're like, F this 40 is starts with an F. I feel like it's the yeah. F off decade yeah. where you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Now that you're not looking at me to be the young, pretty thing that you can, uh, pliably mold. Now I'm going to do what the F I want. Yeah. 
I think for, I mean, I'm 45, so I'm fully into my forties, but that was when I remember saying to myself, if I don't start this company by the time I'm 40, I will never forgive myself. And so I started it when I was 39 because I knew for me, 40 was, it, it was a tipping point of something for me. I don't know if I had a hard rule. I mean, I, because I do think people, I need to have be married by the time I'm 30 or have kids by the time I'm this. And those kinds of things are are hard, but 40 is often a wake up call to people. Mm -hmm. And, and that sounds scary, but wake up call, like who doesn't want to be fully uh, awakened and living their life on their own terms. And you don't have to wait till your forties, but Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't have, I wouldn't have had these thoughts even. Yeah. At 20. Cause I would have been like, no, I just, I wonder if the world will accept me or if there's anything, is there any room for me? Like I thought there'd be no room and that's, that's not true. There's so much room because so many people are like, could care less. If you care about anything enough, <laughs> you could probably do something. But to me, I think it's uh, basically for people who are teetering your 40, do not panic. No. I mean, and the thing is, is when, when you were 30, you thought you were old. And now that you're 40, you look back at 30 and you're like, oh my God, I was such a kid. Like, so now when I'm 50 or 55, I'm going to look back at myself now and be like, oh my God, I was always, you're the youngest you'll ever be. Yeah. I mean, when you're 60, you're going to look at 40 year olds crying about it. You'll be like, really grow up. You're fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the most exciting, interesting people who seem the most fulfilled are those who they embrace that mystery. They go, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't know what I'm going to do yeah. 20 years from now. I didn't know what I'd be doing now. Yeah. I didn't know. I was like, by this age, I need to be, have a book published. Uh, unless I'm publishing it myself, which is a way to make sure you publish a book. Yep. If you're waiting for someone else to approve, there's a lot of downtime while you're waiting yeah. to hear back and hear a lot of no's. What is this rush? You're, you know, like they're just this illusion of like, hurry up, hurry up to when? Till you don't rot because you're a middle-aged woman no one wants anymore. That's the wrong story too. Yeah. Again, this book is going to be great for anybody at any point in their life. But I also think that it is super important for somebody who is maybe my age, who thinks, what have I done with my life? Like, what have I missed the boat? Like, no, th- you didn't miss oh my the God, boat. No. Build the boat, build a boat. Don't miss the boat, build a boat. <laughs> you no, know? no, there's no, there's no missing your, yeah. missing your calling or uh, that is all really crazy. And actually there was a study and I'll, I'll tell you this, Carol Dweck, of course, and her brilliant team, she, she studies fixed mindsets and how they affect our belief systems and our actions, everything else. And one of the studies showed that people who believed that passions were fixed, that I am born to do this one thing and that's it. They were actually more likely to curtail interests in other areas. Well, no, I don't read books like that because I do this. They were so fixated. And yet um, they also were, if something went wrong, if something was hard, they were more likely to very quickly give up on it. Hmm. So the fixed mindset were more rigid about it. Either I only do this, I do nothing else. If it doesn't work out, I guess that's wrong, do another thing. The people who do not look at life that way, and this is something you can learn, they would explore lots of things. And, you know, everyone wants to have creative. I want a creative job. Well, you want to be creative? Start finding ways to mesh and blend worlds that don't seem to have anything to do with each other. Because that idea that I'm meant to do this is really going to limit you and may cut you off from people, ideas, books, anything that's outside of what you think your lane is. I do. I got to say, I hate that saying 
stay in your lane, pick your lane. Like I hate that saying. It's like road professional road rage. Yeah. I, I went to an event once where there's this woman who was like a motivational, like female ambition thing. And she kept talking about being in your own lane. And I was like, what does that, that mean? The though? opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be in our lane. Like our lane sucks. Like, aren't we supposed to be growing? Aren't we supposed to be merging into other lanes? Well, unless she means, because it can sound like color in the lines. It can sound yeah. like compliance. Unless she means feel free to open it up on the road and do <laughs> only what you want to do. Mm. Like, I don't want to do bookkeeping. So I invest in a bookkeeper. Right. I don't want to, I really appreciate someone else helping me track that so mm. that I can really drive hard and in, in my lane. Mm. I just think when you think of lanes, I think of lines and I think yes. someone's telling me where I'm allowed to drive and I don't yeah. like people telling me what to do. Right. Which is also why you wrote this great book on unfollowing your passion. <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I wrote it and I also wrote it to what, and let's just, I say this because I don't want there to be an illusion that I sat down and in a whirl of inspiration, just wrote it. I was told very clearly by my publisher, this is the kind of thing people need. Mm-hmm. You need to work harder and make the writing do this. You need to, I got a lot of, you know, which made the writing better because I mm-hmm. made sure it was serving an audience. So yep. you're not just getting my musings because uh, Simon and Schuster is like, uh, we don't give a uh, about your musings. Make yeah. this usable. I mean, you're asking when you ask people to buy a book, you're asking them to invest money in something that should give them something to do. Yours does that. Your book shows people this is how you do it and it works, but only if you do it. Right. Like you say, intuition and action. You need to have uh, an engine in that car. Yeah. The same with this, uh, lest you think I'm just like blah, 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 soft skills, whatever. Like this is about what do you really want? And it can't have anything to do with people, what people expect of you. And so I'm hoping that it serves. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. That's why I'm excited about it. So where can people find your book? I know it's not out yet. It's not published yet. So well, no, pre-sales are open. So what okay. I did was I'm doing a special thing, a pre-party. If you go to unfollowyourpassion.com, you'll be brought to my website on a page where you can pre-order the book. Doesn't have to be through a major retailer. If you want to buy through Indie, there's lots of options. And when you do that, you will have access to special bonuses that only pre-sale people get, like an exclusive video course called uh, Unsubscribe Yourself. I'm also going to have a writing journal to download, and there's going to be a live book club when the book is out. At Well, after the new year, the book's out in December, but after the new year, we're going to do four weeks of live interactive calls to work through the material of the book together. That's amazing. That's awesome. Okay, so unfollowyourpassion.com. Can you believe it was available? I was so psyched about that. <laughs> After listening to you, I'm not surprised it was available because everybody wants to follow their passion. That's right. That's right. So if you go there and then we'll be in touch. Okay. So I will put a link to all, I'll put a link to you. I'll put a link to that. I'll put everything in the show Perfect. Notes for all the listeners. And I hope everybody gets this book because I think. Well, thank you, Julie. It. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> kiss. I get that. I get the chef's kiss. You get the chef's kiss. You always get the chef's kiss. I could listen to Terry read the ingredients of a cereal box. She just has that kind of voice. There were so many great takeaways from my discussion with Terry, but one of the things that I want to restate, in case you missed it, is that the narrative that we are taught, that passion has to last forever, it falls short of reality. That isn't how passion works. It ebbs and it flows, it spikes like a fever, and then it goes away, and then it shows up again somewhere else completely. 
It's why we change jobs or entire careers. It's how we discover new friends and why sometimes marriages end. Because passion isn't consistent. And that's okay. A sentence from Terry's book that sticks out to me is this. You have made choices. Regardless of what you think of them now, they were the best ones you can make at the time. You didn't mess up. You didn't choose the wrong thing. You didn't miss your calling like a phone you couldn't get to quick enough. Just as you may not feel one way about one thing forever, you don't need to divine a singular higher purpose to give your life meaning. You might feel drawn in one direction or repelled by another, but be wary of using the language of callings, which almost always reflects agenda and bias, implying that some things are worth pursuing and some are not. Everything teaches you along the way. The jobs you've had, your friendships, your lovers, they all contribute to building the experiences that will help you find different passions within your life. None of them were mistakes. If you learned from them, they were lessons. So the easiest thing to do for a cocktail of the week would be something with passion fruit in it. But you know what? I'm not passionate about dealing with passion fruit and blending it up and making some passion fruit puree for y'all. I'm just not. So you ain't getting it. Last week, we talked about boundaries. And I'm making an internal boundary right now that says, bitch, don't have time to make passion fruit puree. So... What we are going to do is have a nice glass of wine, which if you know anything about me, I have a passion for good wine. There's a winery in Sonoma, which is, Sonoma is one of my favorite places. The winery is called The Calling. So this is Jim Nance's winery. Jim is an Emmy-winning sports commentator. He's called some of the biggest sporting events for CBS television network since 1985. Jim has a passion for sports. Yeah, he sure does. But guess what? I guess he also has a passion for wine because he has a winery. You don't have to have one thing that you're passionate about. So stop limiting yourself. Okay, full disclosure. I couldn't get my hands on this wine. I tried. But the shipping from California to Massachusetts was ridiculous. Like it almost cost as much to ship the wine as the bottle of wine that I was going to, you know, showcase, which was their Chardonnay. So you're just going to have to settle for a story here today. Uh, but if you're listening and you're from the Sonoma area, head on over to The Calling and let me know how their Chardonnay is. You know I love Chardonnay. So that's it, friends. Until next week, cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.